Praise the Lord, and welcome to the Rock City Church Podcast with Senior Pastor Bishop Bart Pierce in Baltimore, Maryland. We pray this message strengthens and encourages you to be all that God has called you to be. So let's dive into God's Word. To where we were on uh, uh, just before Christmas and then right through a couple other times on Thursday because it kind of got chopped up a little bit with some things. And uh, But I, I want to get us on the same theme uh, and uh, I, I will change it probably in February, maybe. But right now, I just feel like there's so many ways to attach God's truth to this theme that uh, I'm not interested in running away from it yet. And that is, it's time to rebuild. Hello? It's time to build. It's time to build correctly in your life. It's time to build the things of God in your life. And I tell everybody, I've said every time I've preached over the last month, that there's three areas that all of us are a part of. You've got a past, you've got a present, and you've got a future. You have three areas, past, present, and future. And it's real important to understand in that, that those three areas that you really, really uh, have to look at in a total each one. You can't just clop them together and, and, and just kind of assume they're all one piece. They're all three individual parts that really are important. They're really important. And uh, how many of you know that we could look at every arena of, uh, of the past of America, just America alone, and we can see that our educational system has fell apart. It's corrupt and it's vile and it's corrupt in every manner, every way. Uh, thank God for the new... Uh, governor of Virginia, he's confronting it, but he's going to have a hard road to hoe. But because uh, he's got the area that he has to deal with is up by D.C. And uh, but you got there's an area that we need to go back and look at the past and and look at where we went stray. We took prayer out of school. We took you know we put abortion in for these kids. Uh, we took away everything hist- history-wise, uh, the flag and all of those great things of being really committed to, understanding. And so little by little, the nation has deteriorated. We've raised generations now that are absolutely uh, mindless about what God could do. And then, and then you go right from there and you can put uh, the economic systems. Uh, we're in a, a major uh, inflation right now, and uh, it's not light. It's it's pretty heavy, uh, as heavy as it's been maybe in the last 30 years or 40 years, something like that. And uh, it's really uh, it's really pretty much uh, an out of control inflation. And there's a couple of ways to correct it. And I'm not going to tell you that, but there's a couple of ways they could correct it. And it's been corrected in the past with the same method. But when you have people of ideologies that do not want to surrender their ideologies, even at the destruction of their own city, nation, uh, what of the world, then, then it's not changing. I hear that. And uh, I, I mentioned the other night at a meeting we had, uh, I have a friend I was on the phone with. I'm doing some investment with this person. And, and uh, you know, they took $5,000 in three months. They made $80,000. And, and it's because it's available. Hello? But the average person is interested in the next Wendy's or McDonald's they can get. 
and the next show they can watch on the stupid tube and the next sale at Walmart. And because we're so narrow-minded, we're not stupid, we're just narrow-minded into a pigeonhole of following the, the lead, following what the commercials tell you, following the pattern, and you become a nominal Christian. Are you hearing me? The economics is there. It's, it's horrible. And uh, it was good just a year and a half ago. And it's really, you know, we, I, just, I understand now we're a trillion dollars uh, debted to uh, uh, China and uh, a trillion dollars. And it wasn't that way just a year ago. And, and the same thing in Europe and all those places. So economics needs to be rebuilt. Come on. I'm just taking a minute to show you that these are not just Christian moments. These are the moments of life. It's, this is a word that fits for life. Yeah. Our education, our financial, of course our court systems are, are falling apart. They are filled with political agenda. So you've got people that are making decisions from the highest courts down to the lower courts, and they're making them based on their own uh, opinion not on judicial law or on constitutional law and they're making foolish decisions when they let these prisoners go a thousand at a time and these are murderers these are rapists these are just the vile and we're just letting them out and 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 you know I have to tell you the truth when I look at it I'm thinking geez man where were they at when I was in you know That's not the right way to look at it. But, but the key case is our court systems, and of course, we know our political system is gone. It is gone. It is absolutely corrupt beyond measure. People that are inside traders, that are speakers of the house, ripping off masses of people, you got to understand something. I, I, for years, have taught finances to large groups from Dallas, Texas, and other places. Uh, and, and Texas Instrument had me go and teach uh, for eight years in a row on, and during Thanksgiving to the top executives of Texas Instrument out of Texas. And they had me go there and teach about finances. So when I talk to you about some of this stuff, it's not just, you know, theory to me. Hello, I understand this, and I understand what they've done and how they've done it, and, and, and the, the world, American people are just got a ring in their nose, and they're being led around, and the Christians who didn't, uh, who voted for um, uh, Biden in this last election, I hope you're happy. Because only foolishness would make somebody vote for somebody who wanted to kill kids at every trimester. So, well, there's more laws than that. No, there's not. Because if you take away that law and they did that to you, you wouldn't be here. I just got pictures today of my new granddaughter, I think. 
and she's about the size of a plum, and she's got a heartbeat, and, and my son is just crazy, and, uh, but so cool. And how in the world could people with a right mind go to bed at night and vote for that stupidity? And, you know, of course, the Christians, 38, 38 million didn't vote last election. And, and what's really exciting about that is a lot of them said, I know preachers. I know preachers that told me, I'm not voting. I'm not voting for him because of his mouth, he cusses, he's all okay. The woman you got now calls people all kinds of names. Come on, saints. Most of those Christians could not have Jesus be their pastor. Because Jesus comes in and flips the tables over, tells Peter that he's Satan, get behind me. And all of those corruptions lead us to this. We have an opportunity in God to stop and look at the house, not the past in your background of sin. Look at your house that you've built. God says you're building him a house, a habitation, a place that he can habitate. And you're to build that so that his glory can come in there. Your, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in that process, he's, he's allowed you to use materials. He's allowed, Paul said, others to build with you. And he's allowing you to build. And you're building a house for him, but during tragic moments during backslidden moments you use wrong materials wrong materials and so then you have to go back take those old boards down and those old rooms you have of unforgiveness and those rooms you have of bitterness and those rooms you have of thievery where you rob God and you don't tithe and give offerings you have to go back to that room because God's not going to come for that house And then you have the present where you've got to hear God today. What is God saying right now? What is God saying right now? Listen to me. The average Christian has no idea. We don't read. We don't read the word. We read it only to get something. So contextually, we don't read before and behind. We just read a verse out of Proverbs or something because we need a fix. Hello. Amen. We use the scripture like the lotto, like a roulette. Let me hear. And we need a now word. Hebrews says now. Hebrews 11 says now faith is. We need a now word, a right now word. What is God saying about Russia? Again, if you don't understand, Revelation 11, 12, 13, those chapters, are, those chapters unfold in a succinct order. And those chapters are revealing where we're at globally right now. 
But if you don't read it and you only read it as an apocalyptic kind of book, you're not aware of what God is saying. You're not aware of what God is doing. Come on. And then you have the future. So you have your past, present, got to hear a word today. And then you have the future. And the future is what you're building so that you can go to something. Hello? How many of you know the Bible says when you die, you're going to give an account of everything that you've done and said? And you're going to stand before the judgment seat, sinner and saint alike. People don't go to hell before they go to heaven. They go to heaven, they stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and when they do, then he judges them, and then they have to leave heaven and go to hell. That's got to be more discouraging than if you just went straight to hell. Don't take me to paradise and then make me leave. Now, in that process, uh, I, I gave us a number of things to look at. And uh, Jeremiah 31, 15 through 17, I'll read a little bit, and then I'm going to go into tonight. But I did some of that just to kind of bring some of you that <clears throat> visit the church or float by once in a while or something, you know, so at least I'm trying to help you have some context. Amen. And Jeremiah 31 Jeremiah 31, and uh, it's real important that you get this. And um, um, now in that scripture, verse 15, thus said the Lord, the voice was heard in Ramar, uh, lamentations and bitter weeping. Okay, please roll it. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be confronted or comforted for her children. Okay, and because they're, are, they are no more. That means that, that the seed there of, of Rachel, of Jacob, Israel, that they had fallen away. They would walked away from God because they are no more. Continue. Thus said the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For your work shall be rewarded. That's a key now. Your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. Don't flip it yet. Your work shall be rewarded. How many of you know that in the New Testament alone, there's over 28, 30, 30 some promises of God that have to do with a reward process that each of us can have if we walk with God, if we remain in God and we become overcomers, uh, there is a reward system. Amen. How do you hear that? And, and that reward system is real important to understand because you're going to, um, you're not going to heaven to just sit down and pick lilies. Hello? And you need to understand some of that to understand the whole plan of heaven. And you need to know that the process, you, the works that you do are going to be rewarded. Now, in that, roll it, there is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. And this is talking to Israel, no doubt. And yet it's also uh, applicable, applicable to us as believers. 
that we can lay the claim on these promises. Your children shall come back to their own borders. It's talking about Israel, the Jews coming back to Jerusalem. And that's been happening and since about 1960 something and then in the 70s it really exploded through Russia and all coming back and so it's just a process. Go on. <clears throat> I have surely heard Ephraim be, uh, bemoaning her, himself and uh, you have chastised me and I was chastened or chastised. Uh, like an untrained bull, restore me and I will return for you are the Lord my God. How many of you hear that? And, 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 and I can continue to read this, but you've got to understand that Jeremiah is declaring that there is a place of restoration and there is a place of returning and God's got a remnant. Hello? God's got a remnant. And the number uh, 5782, if you remember that, it is one of the parts of that word that looks like a house and, and number two. And when you see it, you understand this is that the process is that God says, I will break the curse off of you. Amen. God's promises are that he'll break the curse out of our disobedience as a nation. How many of you know God judges people and nations? Now, you don't, don't miss that. Don't dismiss that like it's just some flippant statement. God judges nations and he judges people. And sometimes when he judges the nation, he judges the people that didn't deserve to be judged. Amen. And sometimes he judges people that then judges a nation. If you think about Jericho, there was a young man that stole everything that wasn't his. And God began to kill the Jews and he began to wipe them out. And, Je and, and, and Joshua had to go and repent and they had to say, what are we doing? What did we do wrong, God? And he told them, you know, what he had done. This guy had stolen uh, items that belonged to the house of God in worship and all of that. And he stuck it under his tent. So God was killing the nation because of the individual. Leviticus tells you in Malachi <clears throat> that that's why he says... Uh, you know, bring your tithes into the house of the Lord. This is a Levitical priesthood scripture. That is not what we're under. We're under the Melchizedek priesthood, but it's still Bible and it's still what the Levite had to deal with. And they had to deal with the fact that it says, you're cursed, even the nation is cursed. So when you don't give your tithes and offerings, you affect the nation. When, when the nation is robbing God, it affects you. How many of you know that if the nation mishandles the finances and we go into a, a uh, recession or depression or any of that, how many of you know that's because the leaders mismanaged it? But you're going to suffer. Can't get these trucks to show up. Can't get parts and things like that. Stores, you see the grocery stores, aisles are empty. And, and, and so the nation is, I didn't do anything wrong. Maybe over here I did or something I did wrong, but I didn't do anything wrong to bring that. You understand? So we need to not allow ourselves as we're building God's house, place, we need to know that we can sit in church, be a nominal Christian, 
and think that somehow what the nation does won't affect me because I'm a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. I speak in tongues and read my Bible every night. And then when they bring a mistake and put us at war with the Ukraine or in Russia, our kids didn't do anything to deserve that. Do you understand? See, nationalism is the thing that Satan jumped in and used liberals to magnify this false teaching so that, look, the Bible says if you bless Israel, God said he'll bless you. Wait a minute. That's nationalism. God's into nationalism. Hello? How many of you know we're going over to Russia with 8,500 troops to protect the Ukraine's border? And we just let in two million in our border. Something ain't right. Are you listening? Something ain't right. Are you listening tonight? Now, nationalism is important because, and we have to get on the right side of nationalism, which is not Republican or Democrat, but is morally right. Hello? And, and when somebody, you know, wants to include as it is a, another arm of our national structure called Black Lives Matters, get over it. it. has nothing to do, nothing to do with our Constitution. Nothing to do with it. The two ladies that started it are both lesbians. They're both perverted, sick, twisted. They have mansions they bought. They took money and just, I mean, it's disgusting. And for anybody to want to identify with that, you have to be something wrong. Your morals are twisted. You say, oh my gosh, it's Thursday night. That's right. This is where we get deep. Jeremiah 29, I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and give you a hope. Thank God. He wants to do that. But how many you know now, you cannot build your house and think, that how you act, look, pray about your nation can be independent of how you walk personally with Jesus. Do you understand that? To do that is a lying spirit. You can't separate it. Are you listening? Now, God said throughout Scripture, you could read verse 11 through 15, but God said throughout Scripture here in Jeremiah that God wanted to come and bring. And Jeremiah is the prophet who spoke about uh, them, uh, Israel coming out of Babylon. He was the prophet that God was using during that period. So he was talking about things that said, look, I'm going to give you a future. You're going to come out of that mess you've been in. And you got in that mess because God put you there because you had sin. 
America is dealing with its sin. Nationally. Are you listening? It's national sin that we're dealing with. That's why the cities of Baltimore, Chicago, and these places, and it just happens to be that all of them that are upside down right now are all led by liberal individuals that have no concept of a moral right. None. Hello. Now, we're building a house. So I'm building a house, let's say, and they want to charge me $40, $100 for plywood. Okay? How many of you know what they charge me is what I have to pay to build my house? So whatever that goes on in the nation affects what I'm trying to do to raise a family or have a life. Hello? Okay. Now, uh, the, the scripture, I'll give you a couple of scriptures and I'm jump right over here. First uh, Corinthians 3, 9, 17, it's been on the board for weeks now. <clears throat> we are God fellow, God's fellow workers, God's field, God's building. Uh, and um, each, let each man uh, be careful how he builds. Uh, if what he builds survives, he shall receive his reward. Now notice that if, if what you build survives, in other words, it has potential to not surviving. Hello? And, and I'm not one of those people that tells myself lies so that I might feel good. Hello? You have to be brutally honest with you that you are not keeping pace with God's word. It's the same thing I talked about the other night here uh, with the Green Book meeting. You know, I said, let's start a class with people getting in health. This whole COVID thing, it just exposed people's lack of taking care of themselves. Hello? And, and, and so it, it's a wake-up call. If you don't take care of this body, which is that house, which is the temple, then you won't make it. Amen. Hello? And so we need to really take, care, take heed how we build. And then <clears throat> Paul said in verse 10 of that portion, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, he refers to himself as a wise master builder. And, and I believe in that. I believe strongly that we can be wise master builders. We can eat right. We can exercise. We can stay in God, stay in the book, stay in, in the spirit, pray in the spirit. We can attend church. We can serve. We can be generous. We can do all those things and become master builders. We're building something. I mean, I would consider building a house for, I built a house for a senator one time on the Atlantic Ocean in Virginia Beach, myself and three other guys, for a big-time senator. So, hey, okay, that was like, you know, big time. Well, I'm building a house for the king of glory. <laughs> king of kings. Not no chump senator. 
And if I'm building a house for him, man, I got to build this thing right. You hear him? And Revelation 22, 12 says the inspector's coming. He's coming to check the occupancy permit. And uh, he brings rewards with him. He says, well done, thy good and faithful servant, according to what has been done. How many know according to what's been done, enter the kingdom? Not according to what you said, what you did. How are you here? And uh, Hebrews 3, 6, but Christ was faithful as a son over his own house, whose house we are. Now, I can't say it any clearer than that. Whose house we are. We are his house. God is illegal on the earth out of Genesis, and he could not operate Till he had a vessel. That's why he came in the womb of a woman. He had to come legally to have authority. And that's why Satan has to possess people. Because he can't operate. See, you could put Satan out of business. Just don't let him have a place to sit down in your house. Don't serve a place for him. Jesus said, he has nothing in me. You could see him out on the street with a sign, needing, you know, food and help, needs a place to live. Just blow your horn. I remember Ben Kinslow was speaking in Washington for Jesus one morning and stood up and he said, he said, uh, the, the devil is illegal in America. Well, the place had a million people just erupted. And he's illegal because we have authority to tell him he can't have a place to live. So when he comes to possess somebody, if we're walking in the power of God, living the Christian life, we should be able to say to that devil, chop, chop, out, leave. You can't have that one. Hello? But because God's people are so nominal and are so consumed with the next Wendy's or the next burger they're going to eat. They're not spiritually alert to realize you have authority to speak to these spirits that come to cloud your brain, to bring you down, to oppress you, to, to, to physically make you ill. Hello? And look, saints, if, if we think COVID was, you know, the Antichrist himself, we're so far away. There'll be days and times and events come that will so eclipse that. This will look like a bump, a little bump. And if we don't have the fortitude of strength in Christ today, to be able to rise up and say to that thing in the name of Jesus. It don't mean it's not going to be a battle. Oh, yeah. When I lost my eye, that was a battle. I got it back. 
Now, Isaiah 67, I will glorify the house of my glory. Isaiah 62, 7, his house will be a praise on the earth. His house is supposed to be a praise on the earth. Think about it. How many of God's people being out of shape, overweight, all of those various things, your house is not glorifying God. And I'm not into some health kick. I'm trying to tell you, this house has to be remodeled. And if we're going to stand in the day that we're facing, we better have a different house. Because, you know, I said to some of the guys the other day, it really disturbs me to realize that if the economy collapsed tomorrow, shut down, in 1938, 350 millionaires killed themselves in 24 hours. Population-wise, that might have been most of the millionaires. Today, you might have in one city that many easy. Then you have billionaires. And now you have some that are approaching trillionaires. And, and, and the point being is, you got, you got all this going on. And, and I mean, I thought, well, if the economy collapsed, so many of God's people would just die. Because they have no strength in this book. They don't know how to trust God. They don't know how to find the voices of God, the voice of God, and how to find the truth of God. And so, uh, oh, oh my God. My kids that I led to the Lord in Ukraine, Bob Warner and myself and some others, Pat Robinson's school did a study on what we did and they sent out a paper saying that it's, it's highly possible that we are responsible for leading 500,000 Russians to the Lord. That's pretty amazing. And the point being is this. Those people, they're facing tonight as Israel faces every night. They go to bed wondering how many missiles will get shot over their house tonight. To understand. And here we are. We're letting all these people invade our country. And we're just worried about if McDonald's is offering the rib thing or the some other thing now. Come on, saints. And we have to encourage and beg and, and plead with people to go to the prayer room. And then we have to beg and plead with people to come to church. It'll change overnight. And then those that are shallow, they'll be gone. I was raised in the country. So I have a little bit of survival skill. I was out goose hunting Tuesday. Man, I, we made the best goose burgers today. Oh, my God. Goose burgers. Some of you go, ah. Was it good? I mean, very good. See, I know how to live. Better than chicken. 
See, I know how to live. I always live by the water. I can fish. I got fish traps. I can catch fish. Trying to make a point. Come on. Are you hearing this? We need to really, really ask God to help us. And, and let's, let's go to tonight. Now, we finished last time we were talking about, and I mentioned this to you. I mentioned that I would talk to you about uh, work and how your job and, and that role plays in you. How you know, I just showed you that as the nation goes, that's what you get to build with. Have you know, most Christians, nominal Christians' houses have now got a new room, and it's called the room of fear. Because COVID, oh my God, COVID is bigger than Jesus. And we're going to have to go in that room, take that paneling down, and remodel that room. And put up in there, God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Come on. But we're in the remodeling business now. We've got to get the house fixed so it's ready for the future. And we need the material of the now. God's restoring his house. Subtitle where everyone knows your name. It's from the... Cheers. Thank you. I'm here. Everyone knows your name. But when you, when you are a visitor... I, look, get off it. I'm not talking about if you're here tonight as a visitor. Don't honor yourself. I'm talking about when people are consistently flip-flopping around and don't know how to find the house that God wants them to add to. You're not supposed to be running over creation trying to get. You're supposed to be adding to. And you can't add to when you're not faithful to. Because where there's good government, they shouldn't let you add. Because you haven't been proven. It says, know them that labor amongst you. I don't know you. Now you, I know. Too long. <laughs> you and your mother. Long time. So I don't have a problem. If, 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 if she comes to me and says, I want to work with something. Uh, the, the food thing we were going to do or the exercise. Okay. I'm going to say, Sarah, great. Go for it. Because I know her. After 25, 33 years. I didn't want to be that old, so. When I do that, just go with me, will you? It helps both of us, Sarah. Your honesty is, is, is terrible. <clears throat> Next time I say 20, say, yes, Bishop, 20. Yeah, you were six. Oh, you were six? No. I'm saying, what the heck? God's restoring his house where everyone knows your name. Now, when you're through changing, you're through. I said that last time. 
When you're through changing, you're through. So when you don't want to change anymore, just hang a tag out on your, on your house and say, I'm done. I'm not changing anymore. And next time we sing the song, change me, Lord, don't sing that song. When we consider building for the future, we have to understand the future. Hello. I took some time here last year and talked about heaven. And the, the north side, the corner where the throne of God is, I defined a picture. How many of you that were here remember? And how many of you went, oh, my God, never saw heaven that way. And it's right in the book. And so you got to know the future. you got to know hell. One of the best stories there is about hell is out of the book of Matthew. Where Lazarus and the rich man. And it says they all went to hell. All of them. Everybody that died before Jesus went to hell. And there was paradise there. And there were those that were afar off, but they could see and they could talk. Lazarus and Abraham could talk, but there was a gulf between them. Then Jesus went down into hell, received the keys from Satan of the power of death, life, death, and in the kingdom and took all them out and took them into heaven. And at 285,200 miles an hour, they were there quickly. That's the speed of light. And he is the light. And because he's the light, the light goes before you. When the light goes before you, it dwarfs you and brings you in that speed. So when you die, you will go beyond the speed of light and go right into heaven. Hallelujah. It doesn't mean you stay there. Amen. Better hallelujah that. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, the future is not the result of choices among alternative paths offered in the present. It is a place created, created first in the mind and the will, and then created next in activity. That's Walt Disney. He said that. Pretty cool. The future is not the result of choices among alternative paths offered in the present, it is a place created, created first in the mind and will, that's the suke, and then created next in your activities. Two questions we have to ask ourselves. If we're going to be part, a part of his reconstruction of our house, our families, our jobs, our church, our cities, our nation, we have to do something. What is Question number one, there are two questions. There's probably a hundred, two that I have. What in my thinking needs to change? That's what you need to be asking yourself. What are you thinking that needs to stop? As a man, then so is he. So if you think out of fear, you will give off fear. 
If you think out of greed, you will become greedy. If you think out of lust, you will live a life of lust. If you think out of, and you continue that. Do you understand? So first, what in my stinking thinking that needs to change? What needs to change? That's not a rhetorical, that's really a real question. You need to ask, you need to write that down and ask yourself alone when you can be honest and put away your arrogant prides and all of that and get real and say, what needs to change in my thinking before I lose my thinking? Corruption can really change your thinking. The second question is, what keeps me from making those changes that I discussed with myself that I need to change? What keeps me from changing it? Hello? I have, in my own life, I have certain standards, and and I know my abilities and inabilities so I write down everything hello I write down everything because I'm not smart like some of you think you are that you can remember I write down everything I write down the top 10 things I'm going to do tomorrow every day for the last 40 years. Everything I'm going to do tomorrow, I write it down. And if I accomplish three out of the ten, ha, hallelujah. If I accomplish six, hallelujah. If I don't, I move them to the next day and add some more to it until I get it down so clear that when I get to tomorrow, I'm moving ahead at such a pace, I get done what I've laid out to get done. Why do you make a plan when you plan not to do anything about the plan? Hello. That's why I have resource. I've been blessed. I, I am on the phone talking to people and things all the time. And I'm working with some doctors right now out of Mississippi that have invented something. And 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 <clears throat> can't go there, but... I'm working with these doctors. This is going on in my life every day. Do you understand? I don't have a day to just go, oh, well, I think I'll just think about air. And then those same people never have enough money. They have to work like a dog when they could work smarter not harder. And we go around and we can't figure out why we're not succeeding. Why isn't God blessing me? I pay my tithes. If you're a bad steward, he can't bless your tithe. Hello? If you're a bad steward, he can't bless your tithe. I don't care how much you tithe. I don't care as many times you tithe. If you're a bad steward, you're a man in Haggai with a bag with a hole in it. And everything you put in the bag drops through the hole. 
I watch Christians that have been saved 25 years and they're still just as broke as they've always been. Let me hear. See, it gets quiet. Don't talk about that stuff. Let's talk about hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Woo! Goosebumps. We're on the floor Sunday. All over here. New carpet. New carpet design. That's what we ought to do is make new carpet and outline people like to do it when somebody's been killed. And, and make the whole front of the sanctuary those outlines. You're laughing at me. You know it's a brilliant idea. And all you'd have to do is just come in and, and find your, oh, there's, oh, that's, oh. And if it was this big, you'd go, no, that's not for me. Or if it was this big, you'd go, no, I need that one over there. In change, both gains and losses have to be looked at. See, that's when, that's when you get real. If you're into business and any kind of thing like that, you've got to look at loss and gains, loss and gains. I'm reading some reports right now that, that I have to be aware of and look at. So when I'm doing these investments, I do the right things. Hello. You see, because God doesn't want me to be poor. Doesn't want me to be rich. He wants me to be obedient. And then as Joshua chapter 8 verse, uh, chapter, chapter 1 verse 8 says, you will make your way prosperous. You will make your way if you keep his commandments. He doesn't have to sprinkle fairy dust down, sprinkle fairy dust down on me. Ooh, I feel wealth coming. What in my thinking needs to change? Now I'm I'm kind of going to get you to talk about jobs and how that fits into your role in life for a minute. Not long, but just this is where we're going to be. Are you listening tonight? How you know that you come into a meeting like this and you could, you know, I could charge lots of money for this meeting <laughs> because I have evidence, I've proven it to work, I've been doing it for 50 years, makes me an expert, but that's not what I'm called to do. Freely I've been given, so freely I'm going to give. But then the onus is even worse on you. What are you doing with what you got free? Amen. Now, what in my thinking needs to change? That was the first thing. For me, I have to realize I don't have to... Um, uh, to control every action and every outcome of life, this isn't a question we answer once and it's over. So, you know, when I change things, I, I need to realize I, I don't have to uh, control everything. I just have to control where I'm in the now and pay attention to it. It'll affect my future and my past. My obedience today 
changes my mistakes of yesterday and helps me build better for tomorrow. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So when you obey down the road eventually, you've already messed up your past. You have to obey the now, today. What did you do today to obey God? If you do, you fix yesterday and you embrace tomorrow. But if you delay that obedience, it's disobedience. Amen. Now, the second one I, point I made, what keeps me from making those changes? Control, fear, doubt, others versus knowing. So what keeps you from making the changes you, need to, you know you need to make? Control, fear, doubt, and others. Others. How many people are going to keep you from, from really changing? People are going to keep you from changing the way you think. Because if you stay stupid like them, they're happy because if you get smart, you make them look stupider. Stupid is stupider. <laughs> Hello? Do you know the average person does not want you to succeed? The place you work, they don't want you to succeed. You know that. That's why you change jobs. They don't want you to succeed. Now, that's not everybody. That's not every institution. But the average Joe don't want you to get ahead. Because if you do... And they've let up. They either got to pick it up or get out of the race. So you actually were born to intimidate your brother and sister coming up. You were born to put people under pressure to do better, but you cower and decide to do what your brain says you're not capable of doing and what you'd rather live in fear about, and so you don't push. That's why passive people are a danger. They're a danger to themselves. They're a danger to others. How you here? How you drive on the beltway? How you know that you have to have Six sets of eyes. <laughs> huh? I mean, you know how to drive, let's say. I'm not saying you do. But let's say you do. There's a fool out there that don't have a clue. I have fun with it. I help people. This lady had her coffee cup sitting up there. And she was riding. I could not see anything but her windshield wipers. I don't know where the rest of her car was. It was in the back of my SUV, I guess. It went right up in there. So I floored it. And then I slammed on brakes. And I saw her in the car doing this. 
And I did see that coffee cup in slow motion going through that car. Then I saw her pull over. She probably had to wring her hair out. Have you know that there are people that don't care about whether you're successful? So you have to decide, are you waiting for them to make you successful by always catching you when you've blown it? Corinthians says, if you correct yourself, no man needs to correct you. Now, how work is changing. How work is changing. How do you believe work today is changing? Like no other time. Right? Did you know 100 years ago, 75% of the population worked on farms? Just 100 years ago. In 1950, fewer than 100,000 books were in print. Fewer than 100,000. Now, anybody prints a book on anything, even if it's a lie, makes no sense, doesn't matter. Print a book, self-print. I have a computer, I can print a book. What's it about? Nothing. (laughs) So I asked the question, are you a learner or a learned person? I ask the question, are you a learner or are you a learned person? Ask these questions to yourself now. Are you a learner or are you a learned person? Here's a quote. In times of change, it is the learners who inherit the earth, while the learned will find themselves beautifully equipped for a world that no longer exist. You see, the learner has to keep learning. And the way you keep learning is you keep reinventing yourself. So when you're lazy, you stop being lazy. When you don't know how to take notes and write down things to to help you get to the next project and the next event, you're not a learner. You're learned. You're a mule. You're an animal that learns something and repeats it. They just did a study with dogs because everybody, you know, man's best friend. So they took a dog, put him at the door. The dog waits for his owner to come. Took the same dog, put another person there, waited for the person to come. And they did it like hundreds of times. And the dog learned that action. Hello. My son just had a very expensive dog that he sent out to North Carolina to be trained and uh, it got killed. And the people that were training the dog, of course, paid for everything and all that. And then the breeders found out and they paid for a new dog, gave him a new dog. And then while he was there, gave him a second dog. So he got two dogs. I got the money back and got two dogs. <laughs> and he was telling me, he said, Dad, this dog is smart. He said, But the dog learns a learned habit. 
That's not you. You're a learner. You should be. Many of you are not. Many of you are not learners. You're learned. You've been trained. You've been programmed. <laughs> Somebody just went, oh, my God. <laughs> this is programming you. That phone. Give me your phone for a week. Come back and see me. I'll get calls in the night. Oh, Bishop, Bishop, just let me hear it ring. I have a special ring. I can sleep now. <laughs> Revelation. Now, Revelation 1 6. Th thus, now this whole process, this whole process. The need for change, remaking our spiritual house, is paramount. It's time that the church really make a house where God can dwell, where these signs follow them that believe, where supernatural miracles work through God's people, where we stop coming to church trained and come to church to be trained. Hunger makes you want to be trained. Passive laziness, already full of yourself, makes you learned. You're just a learned person. You know how to, you know, you put your toothbrush here. You know which way you roll the toilet paper. You know, you, you have your car. You know, you have everything. You know, you know all the pieces. And you know everything you do, so you are just we're looking at AI. <laughs> We're trained. Think about it. Most people eat the same food, go to a restaurant, order the same. They get the menu out and go, oh, man, I'm so hungry. Let's see. Um, they'll spend 30 minutes, and then they'll come back, and they'll come back, and they'll go, number 17. What did you eat last week? Number 17. What did you eat a month ago? Number 17. Hello? Because we're learned. That's what the Bible school is supposed to be about. Not you already learned how to figure it out, but how every day becomes a door that you step into that you might encounter God and not know what you now know. That's why you come to church. You come to church so the lid gets taken off and you learn something you just never knew. But because you don't want to change, you don't want to learn because you're already learned. Took me a long time to put that together. I thought, I thought there'd be at least a little hallelujah once in a while. Revelation 1.6, <clears throat> and has made us kings and priests. He has made us kings and priests to, to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. How do you know both? He made you kings and priests. Now, there was a teaching that came out in the 80s, and, and it might have come out way before, but it came out at least in the 80s. I know the people who were doing it, and I know the books. I even have the books. Uh, and, and, and they separated kings and priests. Kings were in business. Priests were in church or 
priests were in ministry, and kings were in business, marketplace. That's fallacy. That's in, in, incorrect. He says there, and he says in other places, we are kings and priests. We are both functioning bodies. Now, you have to understand that in any role, you have a primary and a secondary. I'm a bishop, I'm a pastor, primary, secondary. Do you understand? So you, you got to understand that and embrace that, that you are a both king and priest. And for those of you that think the priest is that passive, you need to be a priest out of the order of Melchizedek and out of the order of Christ, who was not passive. Amen. Going to the cross to die is not passive. And you have to ask yourself, why am I that way? It's because a spirit came and seduced you and brought you in to be in something that was nominal that allowed anything to come rather than stand up and embrace and make things happen. You can be a native or you can be an immigrant. I will go to that. I've already taught on that, but I will go back to that, not tonight. You can be an immigrant or a native. You can be a pioneer or a settler. <laughs> Anybody here tonight? <laughs> Work isn't a place. This is the best thing I'm going to tell you tonight. Work isn't a place. Stop calling Work, your place. It's not a place. Instead, emphasizing work as the place we go. We're not thinking of work as what we do when we say that. Work is what I do, not where I go. By the way, church is where I go, not what I do. See, being born again Christian means I go to church, but I am a Christian. And the same thing is work. Where are you going? To work. Got to be at work. Got to be there. At this. I get off it. I go to work. What do you do? I go to work. It's a place. Now that's been changed because people are working at home. So work's no longer a place because you got your laptop. Oops. So that busted that whole theory up. And now church is not a place. Come on, saints. You see, God works in these tragic moments to rearrange our thinking. Church is who you are. Come on. Now, uh, you got to know it is an activity rather than a place. Work is an activity. Church is an activity. It's not a place. Do you understand that? It's a building. But how do you know if, if we had a major 
collapse of the ceiling and we had to go meet in a tent I bid church. Amen. And how many of you know when you go to work, that's not your work. It's what you do at that place. But when you think that you went to work, you can sit there on your bump and not do anything and say you need a paycheck. You went to the place, but you didn't do any work. And you expect them to pay you for doing nothing. You expect God to pour out his blessing because you're in the place. Amen. Well, I went to church and nothing happened. I'm going up to Philly to preach, so I, I've got a place to go preach. I'm looking forward to that. We need to apply biblical principles. I'm going to close. We need to apply biblical principles to our work responsibilities. Yes. Not work principle. Please hear this now. And don't shout. I want them to hear. We need to apply biblical principles to our work responsibilities, not work principles to our biblical theories. When I was up in um, Pennsylvania the other day at uh, Jim Kilmartin's church, uh, I've had some requests come back this way where some of his people, his leaders, want the notes that I had. So I have to figure out. Because a lot of times people don't realize I don't have the notes. I have a title or I have a, but then I don't have the notes. So I have to go back, get the notes, and I'll send it to them. It was about showing the difference between what I just said to you. And I'll say it again, and I'll give you a real quick piece of this. We need to, uh, we need to apply biblical principles to our work responsibility. Instead, not work principles to biblical theory. The church thinks that the church operates like a business operates. And it doesn't. That's a mistake. Now, when we say it should have excellence, that's yes. When we say it should be done decent in order, that's yes. When we say it ought to have administrative um, structure, yes. But it don't operate the same way. The way up is down in the kingdom. The way up in the world at jobs is kick, cheat, lie, and compromise. Uh, another, in crises and challenges, you go to God's word and you make it an absolute last word about your decision. In crises and challenges in the world or in work, you go to the HR department or the administrative manual and you try to figure it out according to the administrative manual. And you bypass your moral convictions. You'll be asked to cheat at your job. 
I know that. Hello? I know people that work in all kinds of professionals and they're asked to lie and cheat. They're asking them to do it in politics every day now. They're asking our police to do it because they're told, you know, that they don't, they don't want to arrest somebody. And, and, and so they're told, you know, turn the other way. Yet they were taught, that's, you can't do that. You're not allowed. Come on. Have you know, our police department's in a quandary. Our military are being told that they're supposed to be trained to kill. Yet they have to read Miranda rights to the enemy. Oh, oh, I was going to shoot you, but uh, you have a right to remain silent. Anything used to, that was happening in Pakistan, I mean Afghanistan. Hello, people here in the military tell you. Can you imagine you see a guy kill a woman and two kids cuts their throat and you have to question that? And then you take a chance of being sued. Don't train me to kill, then ask me to pat him on the back. So you understand my point. The way of the kingdom does not mirror the way of secular work. In secular work, when you're told to compromise, the answer is as a teacher or as anybody in professional, you have to decide, I don't live in that. Well, you're going to lose your job. Come on, I honor these people who have quit that were asked to compromise their faith. You have a guy right now that just had his heart worked on. He's, he has an artificial thing in there right now, pump, because he was qualified to get a heart. He was already proved and qualified. And because he said, I don't want to uh, take the shot, because it says on the heart um, thing, when you get a heart, you can't have this shot. And that's the shot they're trying to give him for the, for the uh, coronavirus. And he says, no. So they said, okay. And they canceled him. He's got, I think, two kids, a little girl and a little boy. He'll die. You got nurses, you got doctors, you got people that by the mass. They just had 40,000 people in Washington that were protesting the fact that they're being forced to take a shot. You want to take a shot? Go for it. Shoot away. But if you don't want to, it better stay your choice. Because the minute it's not, you're already gone. Then it's easy for all those apocalyptic theories that people have held where they'll put a little chip inside your finger here and it'll be 666 the mark of the beast it's true it's in the book and it will come it will come and it'll put it right here the hairline or in between your fingers it's in the book I don't preach all that stuff I know it I don't preach it because I'd rather live for God you know, if I go out, I go out, but I'm living for God. You're not putting anything in me I don't want in me. 
I did that by myself. I put enough junk in my body to kill a horse. I ain't going to let you because you ain't smarter than me. In crises, uh, yeah, I, I use that. You go to HR. There's a new breed of ministries, ministers emerging in the workplace today. There's a whole new breed coming up right now. These workers are passionate about the kingdom and are people of great integrity and very high moral standard. These, these are the workers that are going to change the culture. Because there's going to be, there's people that won't go to work anymore. There's going to be people not. There's going to be some people, though, that are going to learn to work, and they're going to work really good and really hard, and they're going to be morally committed to their work, and they'll be the ones everybody wants. They think strategically, creatively, about ways to impact the world for the Lord. That's the kind of workers. People today just go mindlessly to this place. And they just go mindlessly and they say, it's not my responsibility to see anything changed. I'm not there to change anything. I'm there to get a paycheck. You're already a slave. If all you work for is a paycheck, can't help you. There are people that I will never be able to help with the gospel because they have already let, let go. And they are now totally owned. Hello. You need to hear that. You need to shake yourself. We're building a house. Come on. You need to begin to think strategically and creatively about the, the, the impact in the world that God has you. Are you making a difference in the work? Or are you just getting a check? You know, when you first started the workforce, how many of you, most of you, wanted to do something you liked? Come on, be honest. When you first went to work, you had an ideology that you were going to work to be whatever that was. And then, and then, babies, cars, houses, food. And now all it is is just a paycheck. And see, the federal government right now wants to just give you a paycheck. They don't care if you work. They just want to give you a paycheck. Why? Because if they do, they know you'll do whatever you tell them to do. I'll just give you a paycheck. You don't have to do anything. Here's a paycheck. They have been doing it for years, welfare. We'll pay all your bills. Pay your school bill. You don't have to think. You don't have to be creative anymore. So you have a mindless generation going along robotically just not creating, not going in. I, I go, my wife says to me all the time, I walk to the airport, and I say, you know, if they would set this thing so they could walk this side and this side. She said, they don't need you. To, to change the airport. Hello? See, because I was put on the earth like you to create. 
to think in event, uh, in, in, invent, you know, um, no, innovative, yeah. To think innovative. You were put on the earth to change something. To make a difference. Finish something. So that you change the way it's done. Because everybody does half-baked. How many of you go to a fast food and have to pull over to the right and check to see if what you just said appeared in your bag? It's like a magic trick. I see people all the time. They're pulling everything out. And you'll see them go, it was in there. You say as clear as you want. We went the other day to get a prescription for my wife. And the girl, how many of you believe that I probably know my last name? Okay. So she Begins to argue with us. You said Harris. I didn't even know a Harris. I know harassment. All right, I gotta, I gotta stop. There are five motivations, and then I'm, in, I'm done currently being used in life for believers and for workers, okay? There's five major points. So Now, you can get this. Please go home, do yourself a favor, download this, and listen to it again. Do you understand where it says, that, you know, if you like it, all that? I don't ask you to like it. I just ask you to listen to it. <laughs> See, I don't like that. That's a trick. Don't tell me to just ahead of time like it. I might think it stinks. Push the like button. I might not like you. I don't want to push a like button. All right. Work can, I'm going to give you these five. So listen, I'll give you, out of the five, there's only two of them. That really apply today. Work can no longer be a place, no can, nor can church be a place. Both can be done off-site. I just mentioned that. I'm, I'm repeating. Just because we may be motivated does not mean others will sense or feel the same inspiration. Duty as a motivator at work or church is dead. Duty in the military as a motivator is dead. Your job as a motivator, duty as the motivator is dead. Duty in church is dead. You say, whoa, never heard that. I'll show you why. Duty as a motivator or church is dead. What do we do when duty is dead or obligation is unemployed? Duty as a motivating fuel has lost its effectiveness. I mean, you know, there used to be a day, my growing up days, people lived by 
they, they have a new video game, not new, they have an old video game called Call of Duty. It's so obsolete, the kids that are watching it have no idea because they don't relate to that statement. If you went to the guys that joined the army in 9-11, after 9-11, they did not do it with duty. They did it out of a total different motivation. My father went to war out of duty. Hello? I have friends that went to Vietnam out of duty because it was your duty. Got to go to church because, you know, your mother goes, <laughs> it's your duty. It ain't your duty. It ain't your duty. It's got to have something shift. Here's number one. Compassion. Okay. Compassion. These are five motivations. Compassion, number one. Community, number two. I'm going to come back and explain just a little brief on them and then we're done. Challenge, number three. You know, that's where you urge people, you know, to obtain more and to accomplish more and to achieve more. Challenge people. Okay. Number four, responsibility. Number four, responsibility. Do you know that we sit in a, a meeting like this and, 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 it, and, and we hear all these things and we do nothing to retain them? We do nothing to take them down as notes that I'm going ch- to let one of them principles work in my life. That's why I'm teaching. Responsibility is, is, has been a motivator. Number five, commitment. This is where we appeal to loyalty and duty, as I said, obligation or vows. How do you hear that? Compassion, community, challenge, responsibility, and commitment. Now, these are the five areas, just five, that are motivating fuels for you to work, be in church, do everything you do in life. Hello. Now, if you take number one, compassion, is always other-centered. Describe sharing with one another, serving and caring for others, giving to others, and behaving lovingly toward others. So compassion becomes a great motivator because it's for others. Community, this is where we have our roots, our place of belonging. Even in our fragmented world, people want to belong more than ever before. Have you hear that? People find community in country clubs, sport fans. Look at these fans. I mean, there were people at the games the other night, the other day, you know, the NFL, and their teams lost, and they were like, you know, you would think, they, they need psychiatric help. The cheese on their heads was melting in two-degree weather. Hello? Son, just find a seat. Son, just sit down. You can get with your mom in a minute so you don't have to be circling the runway. 
People find community in country clubs, sports, civic organizations, even in gangs, hunting clubs, fishing tournaments, churches. Hmm. Community also creates relationships, family, and support. Now, those are the two that, in my opinion, are the best motivators. Challenging is not the best. We urge others to obtain more, accomplish more, and to achieve more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And have you know you're in challenge every day? Your two-year-old's challenging you. <laughs> right? Your two-year-old's got their little hands on their hip going, nope. And you want to come to church and hear me go, nope. Responsibility. Appeal to data, logic, and analysis, and just good common sense. So responsibility, you know, you've you got to be responsible. Tell a 14-year-old, present company maybe, excuse. Tell a 14-year-old, you've you, you got to be responsible. And they go, what is that? <laughs> Hello. Come on. And then Commitment. This is that loyalty, duty, obligation kind of thing. And you know, again, kids that have watched their parents divorce and their grandparents divorce, commitment means what? Watch their dad, he's on his 17th job. Listen to the politicians say that police don't have to be uh, honored. You can go in a store and steal anything you want up to $1,000. Responsibility. Now, of the five, two work the best. And people used to come to church for number three, four, and five. But number one, compassion. It's for connecting at a soul level. And our motivation is beyond reciprocity sorry, and self-indulgence. It is others focused, as I mentioned. At the end of our lives, we then recognize meaningful fulfillment at a deeper level than if we had just done many good deeds. Compassion is why people today are extraordinarily committed to do things. When you don't have compassion anymore, you're leaning on the other things and you just become mechanical. But when you are a nurse, how many of you, we saw nurses get, lose their compassion? We saw first responders at our school, they lost, we see police right now. They've been so shot at and picked on, they've lost. They've lost that motivation. Okay, guys, we need to rush in there. They're going, for what? The state's attorney's just going to turn them loose? Thank God, now she's under investigation. That should have happened years ago. Ooh. Oh, my gosh, you're tough on these people. No, I'm involved in this city. I want it changed. I've been in the home of every mayor and every governor since I've been here, except for the current. 
Hello. Compassion involves five qualities. Sharing, caring, giving, loving, and serving. The last one is community. It's about connecting, connection, on emphasis on uh, commonality. Our individualist society has driven us back to the beginning of God's plan for human race. We are separated. We were created as, uh, uh, to be tribes. Come on. And we were created to depend on community. Hello. In our deepest needs to be with others and to weave a common bond. Our penal system displays this real clear. Aside from execution, <laughs> the, the uh, harshest punishment for a prisoner is to be placed in solitary confinement. Because it's so been discovered, it defies human need of dignity. Kill me, that's not near as bad. Stick me in a room, five foot by eight foot for 15 years. Because I was made, made to connect. Can you get this? That's why the motivations of why we go to work, go to church, is compassionate community. Come on. The top-rated TV show was Cheers. Hello. Remember the song? You said it a minute ago. People hang out at that community bar because everyone knows their name. This is why God gave the word celebrate to me for this year. We're going to celebrate our experience at church. We need to celebrate on a Sunday. We need to come to church and celebrate we're in church and begin to bring the highlight of our day, our week, the fact that we came together with brothers and sisters who are still alive and who are still serving God and have not been overrun by the lying spirits of hell. And we need to come back together and say, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Let me hug you. I got to feel a hug. Sunday after church on the, in February 20th, we're going to have a dinner after church. Anybody wants to come can come. It's time that we take the word that God gives us serious. And after church, I'll quit early. And we need to go right up and eat and hang out and laugh and tell stories and celebrate that we're alive. Celebrate that our God is able. Celebrate that God is more than enough. Celebrate. Tell your story. He provided. He gave me a new car, Cindy. Where's she at? She's back here? You know, Cindy, most people don't know this. That's a real act of God. Our girl, our lady that runs the girl's house, she was given a car by some people, men in the church. They blessed her. And, and, and we go, oh, that's so great. But listen, I gave away 11 cars on one Sunday. That's what the church is. But this generation has left that. 
And compassion was our motivation. Stand your feet. Thank you for listening to the Rock City Church Podcast. And a special thank you to all who generously give to our ministries. We're feeding 40,000 families each month through our food program. We're sheltering women in crisis and have had over 1,200 babies born through our girls' home. And we're able to impact countless lives around the world through generous givers like you. Tap the link in the description below to give online or visit our giving page at rockcitychurch.com. Our prayer room is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if you need prayer, call our 24-hour prayer line at 410-882-2689. Like and share this message with your friends and subscribe to get the latest messages. You can also join us in service on Sundays at 1030 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Thanks again for listening to the Rock City Church Podcast. God bless you.